Hello, everyone. Welcome to the 411 Ground and Pound MMA podcast. We are your weekly look into the wide, wacky, wonderful world of mixed martial arts. My name is Robert Winfrey, and always happy to have you guys and girls uh, here listening. So thank you very, very much for that. Before I get into the show proper, let me do the usual spiel. Please, any way you can support the podcast is appreciated. Like, comment, subscribe. Tell a friend, tell an enemy, tell a stranger. Written reviews, star ratings, whatever your particular platform of choice happens to be. Anything you can do to help us in that particular respect always helps. So thank you again. Appreciate you guys so much. On the agenda this evening... Last night, UFC on ESPN 35, Rob Font and Marlon Vera had a darn good fight. Uh, We'll go over that card, which, better in practice than on paper, safe to say. Uh, Mostly due to a lot of fairly quick finishes, and unfortunately that led to some pretty terrible pacing. Uh, Oof. Well, Well, again, we'll get into that. Uh, I'll have some brief thoughts on boxing. I'll keep it brief this time. I know some of you guys absolutely can't stand when boxing gets talked about here. But there was a couple of things to that over the last weekend that deserve a little bit of discussion, if nothing else. And the big one. This coming Saturday, UFC 274. Charles Oliveira puts the UFC lightweight title on the line against Justin Gagey. The rematch between uh, strawweight champion Rosnama Yunus and Carla Esparza. Esparza beat Rosnama Yunus to become the first ever UFC women's strawweight champion. And Michael Chandler versus Tony Ferguson. Like, what's there to complain about here? Uh, so we'll give you a full preview of that. Plus, whatever news of the week happened to come up. And there was some news stuff. Uh, a couple of things in particular. One I'm not looking forward to talking about. But it got enough traction that at this point I feel I have to bring it up. Uh, so, yeah, that's what's on the agenda. So, all right, with that out of the way, let's jump right in to the action. UFC 2, uh, excuse me, UFC is PN35. Main event, Marlon Vera defeats Rob Font via unanimous decision 48-47 and then 49-46 twice. I was 49-46, uh, Font had the first round, but... Oh, man. So this is a really good fight. Uh, the offensive output from both guys was very, very high. Font has an insane motor. I mean, just would not be... Uh, would not slow down until he was physically hurt. And he got hurt more than once. In fact, he outstruck Vera, I think, every round. Except maybe the fourth... Let me double check that. Uh, I mean, Font threw a ridiculous number of strikes. Yeah, like Rob Font threw 520 total strikes over the course of this. Again, over 100 a round on average. When you actually break it down, there were two rounds he had 90-something thrown. And then a couple with over 100. So just ridiculous output from Rob Font. Just ridiculous. Unfortunately for Mr. Font, he never really seemed to trouble Vera. Uh, He had some good body work. His jab was working. The problem with 
Rob Font has a really good jab. It's been talked to death. But here's kind of the problem with his jab. It's not that it's bad. It's more that it's a little bit predictable. And part of the downside of anything that becomes a bit predictable is you can be countered. Now, it's not that Font has the... Font's jab is not the worst offender of this. In fact, uh, earlier in this particular fight card, a fight we'll discuss in a bit, uh, Andre Feely just way too predictable with his jab, and he paid a big price for it. Font is a touch predictable, but I think more more problematic for Font at this point, and it's just got to be said out loud, his defense is not great. His offensive output is its remarkable. You, you throw over 500 punches in a fi- significant strike, 500 strikes in a five-round fight. That includes kicks, knees, elbows, the whole nine yards. You throw that much, that's exceptional. It's rare you see that kind of output, and Font was throwing everything but the kitchen sink at Marlon Vera. But his power wasn't quite great. His accuracy was also a bit off. Uh, This is one of those things that I think if we go back through with a real fine-toothed comb, we might find that some of the blows he's credited with, maybe he shouldn't be, but not enough to make a meaningful distinction about his overall output. I mean, we're not, and again, thrown and landed, or he still threw them, right? So we might be able to quibble a bit about landed in certain rounds and positions, but not a whole lot. But he, he never got a great beat on Vera's head. Had some really nice body work. But he he never quite slowed Vera down with it. It was only, I think, one time when I thought he kind of hurt Vera to the body, and even then it wasn't badly. But any time... Vera could find counters. There's just holes in his defense. Uh, I think it was Dean Thomas, who was uh, occasionally on the broadcast. He brought it up in... I think it was the fifth. Fourth or fifth round, like late in the fight. The old saying about the best defense is a good offense is just not true. Font's defense kept failing him, and every time it failed him, it failed him pretty big. I mean, this same kind of thing happened when he fought Jose Aldo. He had a much higher output than Jose Aldo. But his defense was not anywhere near what Aldo's was. And every time he got countered, it would what came back had a bigger effect. Overall punch stats and whatnot, they're important, but quantity is not the same as quality. And when you get dropped, especially if you get dropped bad, that'll swing things. It's not impossible to win a round where you get dropped, especially in MMA. But it's hard. It's especially hard if you really get hurt. And Font got... Aldo dropped him enough to to win the relevant rounds. Vera turned his face into something out of a horror movie. I mean, he drops him at the end of the second. Uh, the pretty good left hook, I seem to recall. Dro- I mean, he dropped him in rounds two, three, and four. And maybe... Sh- he didn't quite get a knockdown in the fifth, but he hurt Font in the fifth pretty visibly. Font just didn't go down. 
the one in the which round was it where uh, it might have been the fourth when uh, Vera knocked Font down with plenty of time to work. But he chose not to engage on the ground with Font, which I think he spent too much time in the space in between, right? If you knock the guy down and you don't want to follow them to the mat, uh, you need to make them stand up quickly so that you can attack them again while they still don't quite have their wits about them. He stood over Font for a while, you know, landing some leg kicks and whatnot before the ref finally stood Font back up. And I I think he I think he cost himself an opportunity for a finish there. Uh, just to be candid. Uh, it's He dropped him with some weird stuff too. Um The one in the third was it the third round? Yeah, I think both the third and the... It was either both the third and the fourth where he got knockdowns off with a sidekick to the face. Uh, the old sweet chin music. <laughs> or he dropped him with it in the fourth and then hurt him with it in the fifth. I can't remember the exact order of that, so forgive me. But I'm... He made those... Vera made those strikes work for him. Um, landed some really gnarly calf kicks. Uh, Marlon Vera is a dangerous guy to fight. I mean, he took a round off of Aldo when they fought. You know, credit to Aldo. He uh, Aldo obviously won the fight. But taking a round from Aldo is not the easiest thing in the world. And he said, man, Font's face after this. He was cut in a few different places, mo more up on the forehead. But his left eye was kind of banged up. And then around his right eye was this terrible swelling. Uh, Vera just put him through... Dude, like he'd been in a car, like I said, like something out of a horror movie. Uh, just awful. Uh, what Vera did to him. Vera had some good body work as well. He landed some really nasty body kicks. Uh, two of which hurt uh, Font. One I think required a little more discernment to see. One of which immediately had him backing up. Uh, Vera's good everywhere. He's a creative striker. He's got power. He's got a motor. I mean. Somewhat lost in this particular discussion is, you know, Font threw 520 total strikes. Vera threw 291, which is not a... That's a high... Again, it's dwarfed by 520. I mean, that's more than... Look, v Font landed, officially, almost as many total strikes as Vera threw. Again, just an absurd output. The... The... But... You know, throwing almost 300 strikes over a five-round fight is a really good pace. You know, that that's it's not like Vera just sat back and did nothing. I mean, he kept a fairly high pace himself. Uh, really good fight. This is go. I don't know where it'll. It's going on my fight of the year contender list. Uh, great back and forth stuff. Every time Font got dropped at the end of a round. He recovered and then came back in the first part of the next round. He's like, hey, I'm cooking again. Vera evades, blocks, fires back a little bit, and then suddenly hurts him. And, whoa, buddy, we're in trouble. Uh, Font was number five coming into this. I think Vera was eight. Uh, something like that. And Vera asked after the fight, like, what do you want next? Vera said, four, three, two, one, belt. Like, he'll... Just wants to fight up. 
And he very well could fight for the belt. Uh, not next. I don't think next, but... That guy's a dangerous fighter. He's got... It's not that he can't be beaten, but he's got pretty stout takedown defense. I mean, Font only attempted two, and he got one. It didn't lead to much as uh, Vera kind of scrambled back up. But uh, Vera's got... Some of his numbers are a little skewed because he was... He's so different now than he was early in his fight. At the moment, his takedown defense sits at 68%, which is... Again, that's really good. Uh, his accuracy's pretty low. Well, his accuracy's 42, and if you can even get 50% accuracy on your takedowns, you're doing pretty good. Uh, but he's got stout takedown defense. He's a He'll fight from either stance. He's got some serious power for bantamweight. He's, he can fight five rounds. I mean, he didn't look... He looked like he could have fought another, like, three rounds at the pace he was going. Like, he was really dialed in physically for this. So, deserves a lot of credit for that. Uh, he said he wanted people in the, uh, you know, in the top, in the top five. He should be number five now, so anyone above him. Him and Corey Sandhagen would be all kinds of fun. Uh... Not out of the question to do him and Piotr Jan. There's still some curiosity around what... Sterling doesn't know what he's doing. The UFC's not quite sure what they're doing either. Uh, you imagine the front runners for the title shot are either uh, Jose Aldo or TJ Dillashaw. I don't think you could... I know in the immediate aftermath of this, Vera said he'd like to fight Jose Aldo again over five rounds this time. I'm not saying that's a. Fu I think it's a bit too soon relative to their first one to kind of be will to have a tremendous appetite for that. But Dillashaw, maybe you know. It, look, if the line become, if the reality becomes, Aldo's been here. Aldo's on a winning streak. Give Aldo another crack at the belt this time against Sterling. And that's a winnable fight for Aldo, much more so than Piotr Jan. Not. I'm not saying I'd pick Aldo, but that's much more winnable than Jan was stylistically. You know, Dillashaw might need to win one more. If he needs to win one more, hey, look, it's Marlon Vera's right there. Uh, Vera, there's a good chance he fights for the belt at some point. He has become, he was very unrefined early in his UFC career, and he has worked very, very diligently to fix that, you know, to, to really refine his skills. And now, I'm not going to call him the best bantamweight in the world, but he is among the very best bantamweights in the world. He put a beating on Rob Font that even other people who have beaten Rob Font couldn't do. Like, he hurt that guy a lot. Like this is this is the kind of beating that might change the trajectory of your career. I'm not guaranteeing that, but wouldn't shock me if Rob Font is just not the same guy anymore after this. Uh Really, really solid all-around performance out of Marlon Vera. So, yeah, really good main event. If you haven't seen this fight, look it up. This one is absolutely worth your time. Uh, as for the rest of these, oh, for the record, Vera versus Font was your fight of the night. Deservedly so. Unfortunately for... Man, I'm just going to say this. Look, Font missed weight. He weighed 138 and a half. 
So you, it's not a good. You, know, you miss by two and a half pounds for the non-title weight limit, or you have three and a half. If you want to be a stickler. That's a pretty bad miss. It's not the worst, but that's also not. That's the kind you do have to pay attention to. Now this is the first time Rob Font's ever had an issue on the scale, as far as I can see. I mean, he had a couple of catchweight bouts earlier in his career, but I think, but those look like they were deliberate. So yeah, first time really having an issue with missing weight, first losing streak of his career, you know, coming off the Jose Aldo loss. Uh, but missing weight is not great. But it disqualified him from the fight of the night bonus, so there I just got the full 100k. Uh, it must really... Look, here's the only thing I'm going to say about Rob Font in this case. and uh, I don't like guys missing weight. My personal policy as far as how I judge these things... One, there's a... You know, how much did you miss by does need to be taken into account. Do you have a history of it? And that's really the big one. If it's your first time missing weight, the, the sheer randomness of the universe and all the things you have to calculate and line up for some of these... For, some, for weight cuts that some guys do... It's just going to happen at some point. So I'm not going to... I don't hold this against him necessarily in the sense that I'm going to you know, look sideways at him, but you sign to fight at a weight class, you do need to make weight. But, you know, you, you miss weight, so not only do you lose a percentage of your purse, you lose out on your post-fight bonus, you also lose the fight... Font probably made very little money to get his face rearranged, and it's kind, it's profoundly sad. I, I, I don't know what you do about this with you know weight uh, with missing weight. Like, I, I understand you agree to fight at a certain weight, ergo there must be penalties for missing it. I do. But given the totality of the circumstance for UFC fighters, it also just I'm going to use a word that I don't like using on here. It is profoundly unfair. Now, there, I mean, there's no such thing as a fair fight. Unless you're literally fighting a copy of yourself that is you as you came into the cage. Otherwise, you know, there's always... you know, Is it fair to fight someone who's got eight more, 18 more professional fights than you do? Is it fair if you have to fight someone who's got so much more skill in one particular area than you? Is it fair to fight someone who's four inches taller and has six inches of reach on you, even if you're in the same weight class? Is it fair to fight someone if you're coming in you know, with a lingering injury or maybe you just got over the flu or something? All of which happens, by the way. You gotta, nothing I said there is outside the realm of like documented history in, the, in MMA in general. A lot of that in the UFC in particular. Again, is that fair? Well, not in the traditional sense. Most people, when they think of a fair fight, it means we both agree to the rules and abide by the rules. But you know, there's no such thing as a truly fair fight. It's just, you know, do you follow the rules or not? But to see someone go through what Rob Font went through, and to just know that guy barely made any money when it's all said and done for this, it's just... I don't. I, I've long since made my peace with a lot of the ickiness of combat sports. Uh, but thinking about this does make me feel gross.
and again, I don't have that very often uh, for a variety of reasons. Again, I, I made my peace with it. You know, I've accepted the fact that I'm probably going to watch someone die at some point, uh, which is ghoulish, and I'm not looking forward to it, but you watch enough, you know, between kickboxing, boxing, MMA, you, know, you, you just watch enough, you're going to see someone die. It's a small miracle I didn't watch. I haven't watched some of the, you know, uh, boxing matches where someone has died, or, you know, yeah, that it just hasn't happened all that often in MMA yet. So I, but on the occasions that someone has been seriously injured or what, uh, you know, and when I say seriously injured, I don't just mean like broken bones or what I mean like life-threatening injury. Uh, I haven't either haven't been watching live or you know, whatnot, but it's gonna happen at some point. You do anything long enough, every eventuality comes to pass. But you know, just. Just watching a guy like Rob Font, who's as good as he is, and knowing just how badly he's being treated on the financial side of things, yeah, I feel a little gross. Uh, again, great win for Vera. Sucks for Font. Uh, have to see what comes next for both guys, but for Vera, it is onward and upwards to better things. So the rest of these should be a little bit quicker. So let's start with. Let's keep going. Co-main event. This fight. Andre Arlovsky defeats Jake Collier via split decision. There was one 30-27 for Collier and then two 29-28s for Arlovsky. Apparently everyone in the media scored this for Collier. Uh, a bunch of them 30-20. I don't get 30-27 for Collier at all. Just going to throw that out there. Arlovsky had the second. I don't know what else you want me to say about that. Look, I had Collier one, Arlovsky two, and Arlovsky edging the third. That's just how I thought it went. Now, the third round was close enough that 29-28 for either man, I think, is a perfectly acceptable scorecard. I don't quite get 30-27 for Collier at all. Um, Collier was pissed after the fact, and frankly, I understand. This was not a great fight. Uh, I know, <clears throat> I know there were some people out there, at least on Twitter, who were like, who seemed to be eating this up. Uh, I was not one of them. This was not a very good fight. I don't think it's going to, like, worst fight of the year, but this was not very good. I think the Morning Combat channel was like, this fight's delivering. I mean, what's it delivering? Pizza? No. It really kind of wasn't. <laughs> um, Arlovsky got another win. Uh, look, again, if you thought Collier won, I'm not here to argue with you. I don't think this is a good enough fight. This is not a good enough fight to argue over, and it was frankly not a robbery. I mean, there were some people after the fact who tried to make the joke like, "Well, after that first round, someone gave uh, for the next fight, someone gave it to Arlovsky." Like, shut up. Andre Arlovsky is not Canelo. You can't make my joke about that. Stop it. Uh, just sad. Um, yeah, not a great fight. Arlovsky just. Kind of keeps hanging around, and if you can't do something to make him not hang around, he's going to con- I mean, for crying out loud, his only loss in his last, what, five or six fights was Tom Aspinall? Seven? Yeah, in his last seven fights, 
Yeah, he's in his last seven fights, he has only lost to Tom Aspinall. He's four and two. He's four and one since then. Sorry, not four. He's four and zero oh since then. He is yeah six and one yeah six and one in his last seven. Uh, you go back a little bit to 2019. You have Rosenstreich who beat him. So again, worst case scenario, you're seven and two in your last nine. It's actually a it's a pretty good run, believe it or not. Uh, I mean, the last two have been splits. Uh, I mean, I scored both of them for him. The Collier one's a lot more contentious than the Vandera one. That that was, I don't think that one should have been split. But he's just still plugging along, getting paid. I don't. I mean, last I checked, so again, we got to go back a ways. But I think he was on like a flat 350k. Like every time he fights, it's, uh, he's not, he doesn't have a show win split. I think he was just flat, like 250 or 350,000. I don't know if he'll survive the next round of budget cuts because they can bring in a whole fight night worth of people off of the contender series for that. And if you think I'm joking, I'm kind of not. Let's, let's just assume he's at, for the sake of argument, let's assume 350. So if you bring in a whole fight night, let's exclude the main event. Everyone's like 10 and 10 or 12 and 12. Yeah, you could pretty much populate a fight night of people making their UFC debuts with what they pay Andre Arlovsky. Uh, again, excluding... If you exclude, like, the main event or a good co-main. Yeah. Oof. Well, if I'm a lot, you know, there's a, what's the joke about the WWE guys? Like, anybody making at least a million a year, every time those next round of budget cuts come up, you, you're you sweating, because you've got to be worth the squeeze. And I, I guess they like keeping Arlovsky around. I mean, he's still there, but with how the UFC likes to do business, I don't know for how much longer. Uh, again, not a great fight. Featherweight. Joe Anderson Brito defeats Andre Feely via TKO, 41 seconds of the first round. Feely comes out looking to jab. He's got that really lanky frame. Jabs Brito a few times. Brito just starts jabbing with him. Like, All right, you have slightly longer reach, but I can still... It's not distinct enough that I can't reach you if you can reach me. They start trading jabs, just splitting them back and forth. And then Brito's like, okay, I've got a read on your jab. You're not moving your head. Here it comes. Okay, you start throwing the jab. Here comes the right hand, and boom. Um, this, I don't think this was the first TKO loss of Feely's career. Um, actually, yeah, but this was the first time he was stopped by strike since Yair Rodriguez knocked him out in 2016. Um, cause Holloway choked him out. Cater was a decision. Johnson was a decision. Yeah, Yusuf and Mitchell were both decisions, too. So, yeah, first strike-related loss in quite a long time. Yeah, Godofredo and Pepe. Pepe tapped him out, too. Um, look, man, Feely's been in the UFC since 2013. I uh, came in at UFC 166. Uh, I think at this point, I mean, so he's been there for almost, 
He's coming up on 10 years. Yeah, if he makes it to the next year, it'll be... Uh, makes it late next year, it'll be 10 years. He's got 30... Over 30 professional fights, and he's... He's 31, so he's not old, but... Uh, there's enough years in my... There's enough there, man. He debuted in 2009, professionally. So... I mean, I've kind of said for a while I've not been... His... If you were to just, like, get Andre Feely to fight at the very best he's capable of, he's very good. The problem is he doesn't always fight that way, and he's got weird stylistic habits, and his defense isn't great. And... Uh, yeah, he just... I think, I think if you were to look at... Again optimal if he's fighting optimally all the time he's a very good featherweight but i think if you look at him practically this is kind of where he is he trades wins and losses more often than not and this is kind of his ceiling you know uh, we're probably closer to the end of his career probably closer to the end of his career than we think we are so, solid win for brito again too short of a fight to really do much analysis Lightweight Grant uh, Grant Dawson defeated Jared Gordon via rear naked choke, 4-11 of the third. Pretty good fight here. Um, Gordon was the better striker, but he just couldn't consistently keep Dawson off of his back. Uh, Dawson got his back in every round. Uh, the way he finished the rear naked choke actually was kind of interesting. He had, I think it was his right arm choking. Uh... And then his left arm, instead of going behind the head, like he normally would, he just reached over and grabbed his own elbow. Um, what did he call it? His jujitsu coach? Like the, the pouting child or something? Because if you've ever seen, you know, a really unhappy you know, five-year-old when they pout, they you know cross the arms and whatnot, and you kind of grab your own arm like that, and I think you can just kind of push it back far enough to kind of help out with the compression I, I don't know the specifics I just never really seen uh, a rear naked choke finish like that I thought it was kind of cool um, yeah Dawson's pretty legit he just doesn't quite seem to have internalized the lessons he should have learned from the Glenn fight um, but you know, he's gonna if he's gonna keep winning this way he's gonna keep doing so until somebody makes him change uh, things this is the first time anyone in the UFC had submitted Gordon so it's a non-trivial feather uh, Darren Elkins at Featherweight defeated Tristan Connolly via unanimous decision, 30-27 across the boards. I don't have anything to say here. Uh, it's a Darren Elkins fight. What do you want me to say? Uh, Christoph Yotko defeated Gerald Merchardt via unanimous decision, 30-27 across the boards there as well. Uh, not a great fight there either. Uh, Yotko just better striker. Did a lot of clinching. Uh, it's not that Mershart's a terrible fighter. Yako was just a, a step ahead of him that entire fight. Didn't really matter where it went. As for the prelims, Alexander Romanov defeated Chase Sherman via Americana, 2-11 of the first. Exactly what you expected. Romanov was like the biggest favorite in UFC history, depending on how you want to look at it. He was like minus 2,200, something stupid. Um, yeah... 
I would I would officially like to rename the Americana Heavyweight Kryptonite because it only seems to work on heavyweights, and that's not a... I talked a little bit about this before. That's not really to say that heavyweights suck. If you want to know why that uh, the Americana key lock or whatever you call it, why it only really works on larger men, uh, it's it's the space and the flexibility of the connective tissue. Like you get a because I've seen Americanas applied on like there are plenty of women. Uh, I've seen some like strawweight fights. Someone will get side control, will get an Americana, and the girl on bottom is able to just kind of bridge, and her shoulders and whatnot are flexible enough to let it go as you look for a counter. If you're the size of a typical heavyweight, there's just a lot more stuff there, and I don't mean fat. I mean, the bones are bigger, the muscles are bigger, the, just not enough, there's not as so much space there. There's some stuff that just... You know, why do, uh, why do you know, some people can't really, I think it's Dustin Poirier, he says, you know, I can't really be triangle choked because I have double jointed shoulders, which is fascinating, if true. But you know, there are physical realities to these things, and you'd like to think that they're universally applicable, but reality, they're not. Some stuff just works better on different body types, and Americanas work better on heavyweights than they do on anyone else. Uh, Romanov, God. I very briefly responded on Twitter to something that was said about, because uh, Romanov, after the fact, like, yeah, I'm coming for the belt, which I, I appreciate his, uh, look, he's undefeated, and I certainly appreciate his uh, ambition, but he owes Juan Espino one. Uh, that fight, again, like, there's... Here's the problem with that fight. You have the people who's like who don't understand how the scoring criteria works. Uh, for those of you who don't remember that fight, um, they fought to a technical decision. Romanov wins the first round, handily. Espino wins the second round, again, handily. Like the, There's not a lot of dispute here. Third round, uh, we get about a minute, we clinch quickly. And Espino's landing some stuff in the clinch, and one of them is a knee that goes low. It's not the worst low blow you've ever seen, but it is definitely low. Romanov can't continue, whether that's because the, whether that's the damage from the foul or him being gassed, which one is more important. The reality is Espino fouled him. And if he can't continue for whatever reason, hey, don't foul the guy. Makes your life easier. But... The technical decision went to Romanov, and the people arguing this are just not understanding how... Look, you don't have a whole lot to score in the third round. You've got about a minute, I think. Let me double-check that, actually. How far into that round did they get? Yeah, they're a minute and five seconds into the third round. Uh... So you have to only judge that 105 of the third, and Espino won... Pretty much all of that. There was just no reason for... <laughs> there was no reason for Romanov to win that fight. Uh, absolutely none. Uh, but he's... You know, look, he's moving on, and Espino's been a little... What's Espino done recently, actually? He had another win, and he's won since then. Uh, no, he hasn't, actually. That was April of last year. What in the world have you been up to, buddy? 
Uh, he does not have a fight scheduled. As far as I can tell. That's weird. Yeah, I I don't know what he's up to, but get him back in the cage sooner or later. He's not a bad heavyweight. Uh, anyway. So, yeah, good enough win for Romanov. He should probably fight someone ranked next time. Uh, just to see what happens. Flyweight, Francisco Figueredo defeated Daniel Da Silva via knee bar, 118 of the first. Figueredo, uh, Lacerda. He's list this guy's listed as like three different things depending on where you look. I'm going with De Silva because that's how the UFC lists him. Uh, De Silva just got a little bit aggressive trying to do a uh, pass through to uh, from full guard at, like towards half guard. Um, wasn't quite a smash pass because the hips weren't in the right area, but he was kind of trying to float through. And as he stepped through, Figueredo kind of shoved him off balance just a little bit, grabbed the knee bar. Nice knee bar. Uh, I think this was the first time ever we've had back-to-back -back UFC events with knee bar finishes on them. So, solid enough win for Francisco Figueredo. Uh, welterweight Gabe Green defeated Johan uh, Lanus via TKO 402 of the second. Uh, Lanus looked pretty good, but the second round, he was winning the second even. Until he started fading and Green's bodywork started paying off. He sits him down with a brutal right hand. Uh, almost to the kidney. Just, ooh. Drops him, pounds him out. Solid stuff from Green. Uh, lightweight, Natan Levy defeated Mike Breeden via unanimous decision. 130-27 and 229-28. Solid enough win from Levy. Uh, after the fact, he mentioned that uh, you know last week was Holocaust Remembrance Week. So he was going to sell his fight kit and donate the proceeds to uh, you know, some survivors of the Holocaust who are still alive. Um, which is... You know, uh, it's a good thing. It's a good thing he's doing. And kicking everything off, Shanna Young defeated Gina Mazzani via TKO. Punches on the ground, 311 of the second. Uh, Mazzani yeah, kind of got... She got countered trying a takedown. They scrambled back up. She went for a headlock throw, and Young just easily countered that. Got into the right position, got back mount, and just pounded her out. Uh, Mazzani's good for one round, but she fades badly after that. So your bonuses. That, that was the card. Uh, we lost... What was, it, what was the fight we lost? Um, uh, yeah, Tatsuro, Tyra, and Carlos Candelaria were supposed to be our first fight of the night couple of hours before the event got started, they announced that was scratched, some kind of illness to Candelario, and they're moving that to the Blahovich and Rakich fight night in two weeks. So, uh, so I was looking forward to Tyra's uh, MMA, UFC debut. And he's got a little bit of hype coming out of him. Uh, he did a lot of work in Shudo, and he's undefeated. So, that was the card. Your bonuses, fight of the night, mentioned Vera and Font, which will probably feature pretty prominently in some fight of the year discussions. Performances, uh, Joe Anderson Brito and Francisco Figueredo. No real argument on any of that. All deserving bonus winners. So before I move on to the next event, let's briefly talk some boxing here. A couple of things. Uh, first up, 
Uh, Shakur Stevenson just dissected uh, Oscar Valdez. I think that made... That makes Stevenson the undisputed junior lightweight champion, which would be about 130 pounds. I forget exactly where it is. Uh, Stevenson's really good. He's a really slick boxer. Uh, he should be in position to fight... Uh, I don't know if he moves all the way up to lightweight, which is 135 in boxing. So, If he did, you know, you've got guys like George Cambosos up there. You've got Teofimo uh, Lopez. No, Lopez is moving up. Uh, you know, Vasily Lomachenko's there. Bud Crawford's up a weight class. Uh, you might have Gervonta Davis in that same vicinity. I'd have to double-check where Davis fights. But he's he's probably due a pretty big opponent next, if at all possible. The uh, the fight that drew a lot more a lot of the attention over the weekend was the women's uh, the women's undisputed lightweight I want to say fight. Forgive me if I'm wrong in the division, but Katie Taylor and Amanda Serrano main evented Madison Square Garden. Put on the best women's boxing match I've ever seen. Uh, incredible technique between the two of them. A dogfight. The way they ended that fight, man. The last, like, ten seconds, those two just stood in the middle of the ring and beat the crap out of each other. Uh, Taylor takes home a split decision. I don't argue with how you score that one either way, really. There was one of the scorecards for Taylor right didn't uh, one of them had it? I think 97 to 92, and I never saw a 10-8 round for Taylor in there. But so uh, again, like th- that one was a little bit wonky. But scoring it for Taylor, I think, is perfectly acceptable. Here's the big thing I need to throw out there into the combat sports world in the wake of this fight. Women's boxing having two-minute rounds is insulting. It is... That's all it is. It is just insulting to the fans. It is insulting to the fighters. There's no reason for it. Uh, There's certainly no medical reason for it that I've ever been able to find. The bigger gloves... I don't like them, but... Look, I'll tolerate the women fighting in larger gloves if you give them three-minute rounds, which they should have. There's no reason for them not to. Look, look, MMA had a similar thing. You guys may not remember this, but back when women's MMA was first getting started, they had three-minute rounds instead of five. That didn't change until... Might have been not until Cyborg versus Carano in Strike Force. Which is longer ago than I care to remember because I don't want to feel old at the moment. But yeah, women's MMA used to not really have weight classes, and yeah, they had three-minute rounds. Uh, women's boxing has been around for longer, and there's just no reason for them to have two-minute rounds. It's again, it's insulting to everyone. It's ridiculous. Stop it. Those women are high-caliber fighters, deserving of every bit the same treatment that male fighters get. Uh, as far as the rule structure goes. They should be fighting three-minute rounds. They should have... I also think they should have 12 minute ra- twelve rounds you know, for title fights instead of just 10. But, hey, what do I know? So that's my big takeaway from that. And I 
they'll probably try to do an immediate rematch. They probably should do an immediate rematch. But fix the structure of women's boxing, please. We're not talking about you know too many or- sanctioning bodies here. That's a whole boxing thing. We're not talking about you know, the diluted or non-diluted value of titles. We're not talking about some of the corruption that goes on with various promoters and fight bids and et cetera, et cetera. We're not talking about any of that. I'd like to see those things fixed too, but those are hard fixes. Saying that women boxers should fight three-minute rounds instead of two seems like a very, very, very easy thing to fix. Fix that pronto. There's no re- I mean, look, the, the boxing crowd for a long time liked to look down on MMA. Not so much anymore. But if I'm going to stick up for MMA for a minute, we got to egalitarianism of sport a lot faster than you guys did. Here it's 2022. You're, you're still having women fight two-minute rounds for reasons that are as... If you look at all the data on it, it's basically just sexism. There's no other reason for it. Other than, again, just like, well, you know, they're women. They can't fight for three-minute rounds. Or it's it's barbaric. Stop. All fighting is barbaric. Deal with it. It's, It's just ridiculous. I mean... I'm not going to get into a whole thing about women in sport, women's sport versus men's sports, but this is this is one that we should fix. Yeah, not that it's not that complicated. It's not that hard to fix. We should fix this. Uh, all right, I think that was all I had for the other combat sports results. So let's get into UFC 274. Mmm. It's a good one, folks. Your main event, Charles Oliveira puts his UFC lightweight title on the line against everyone's favorite lunatic, Justin Gagey. <clears throat> All right, let's get this out of the way. If you want me to pick, if, if I'm here to pick a winner, logically, it's Charles Oliveira. He has demonstrated a significant improvement to his resilience over the last few fights he's the more well-rounded fighter he's i can't say he's demonstrated better cardio he's the more technically proficient striker yeah i i feel pretty confident again he's more well-rounded he's a he's a threat on the feet he's a bigger threat on the ground i mean he's the all-time submission leader in ufc history so, logically, the pick is Charles Oliveira. I'm rooting for Justin Gagey because I always root for Justin Gagey. I just can't help myself. Uh, I think Oliveira will win. I think his leg... These guys are going to trade some leg kicks. The problem is... Gagey needs to hurt Oliveira early, which he can do. I don't know that he needs to finish him early, but he needs to deter him early. And that's not an easy thing, because Oliveira's been dropped... I mean, Michael Chandler almost finished him. Dustin Poirier badly hurt him, and he just kind of, well, got back on the horse. So, it's not an easy thing to actively deter Charles Oliveira from what he's doing. 
But I think Gagey, if he can't finish him early, does need to deter him in some form or fashion. Both men fight orthodox as a matter of general course. Oliveira has a better clinch game. Uh, he's got really good knees in the clinch. He he sucked a little bit of the life out of uh, out of Dustin Poirier with knees to the body anytime they tied up. Pure boxing range, I would favor Gagey. Uh, Gagey hits harder. Uh, Gagey's chin, uh, Oliveira's. Oliver's probably not going to stop Gagey with strikes. He's probably going to submit him if he's going to if he's going to get that. It's going to be a submission. So again, logically, it's Oliveira. He's a slightly smoother striker. He's dangerous in a few more areas. Uh, he's proven himself. Look, if Charles Oliveira wins, think about this for just a second. His current. I can't say his current winning streak because that's a that's quite long. His current winning streak goes all the way back to 2017. But he's got some wins in there that are well, okay. You beat old man Guida. A rematch with Jim Miller in 2018. You fought Nick Lentz for the umpteenth time. But his last three wins coming into this fight, he taps Kevin Lee, decisions Tony Ferguson, including nearly breaking the man's arm in the first round. Stops Chandler with punches and taps out Poirier. That's as good a four-fight stretch as you will find anywhere. If he adds Justin Gagey to that list, think about it for just a second. Lee, Ferguson, Chandler, Poirier, and Gagey. Is there any doubt that that man's the best lightweight on the planet if he beats Justin Gagey? Any? I mean, unless he does it in, like, the screwiest of fashions... If he wins this fight, there should be no doubt. Uh, which is not to say he can't be beaten. Look, Islam Makhachev might... Islam Makhachev could very easily beat him. Now, I don't mean that that would be an easy fight, but like you tell me that it, if you come back from the future and say, hey, you know, in two, two fights from now, Islam Makhachev's going to beat uh, Charles Oliveira, I have no problem believing you. None whatsoever. But if he he would he is I still think he is right now I think he's the best lightweight in the world. So that's a heck of a fight though. You both those guys seek the fight. You know, Charles Oliveira unless he's really hurt doesn't back up a whole lot. You know, those two are gonna they're gonna get after it. And I ultimately think Oliveira will win, but I'm pulling for Gagey, and that's a heck of a fight. All right, next up rematch. For the women's strawweight title, I mentioned this before, but Rose Namajunas, your champion, against Carla Esparza. These two fought for the inaugural strawweight title. Esparza won via second round or first round? Uh, which one was it? Third, sorry. It was third round submission. Esparza won the first and second rounds. Then tapped out uh, Namajunas in the third with a rear naked choke. That was seven years ago. Over. Over seven years ago. Time does fly, doesn't it? Uh, look, Esparza's earned this opportunity. She's on a pretty good winning streak. I, I mean, look. She's on a five-fight winning streak. There's a couple of splits in there. Um, the water... 
there's a majority decision to Grosso that she should not have gotten. That should have been a draw. The split with Watterson that... Yeah, I kind of... I was okay with her getting the Rodriguez split. The Marina Rodriguez fight I did not agree with. I thought Rodriguez should have won that fight. But she uh, she got Yan Xiaonan out of there in short order about a, year, a little less than a year ago. Uh, she's earned her opportunity here. Poor Rose. I shouldn't say poor Rose, but... You notice that most of what Rose does is rematches these days? Like she has her last several fights. She has two fights with Ioana and Jacek. That was her title win and her title uh, retention. Two fights with Jessica Andrade, the loss and then the split decision win. Then the knockout over Zhang Wiley to regain the belt. And her split decision win to retain it. Now she's fighting Esparza, who was her fourth overall. Has she rematched everyone she's ever fought? No. No, okay. So she's fought Tisha Torres twice. Uh, she's fought Angela Hill only once. Paige Van Zant only once. Carolina only once. And then Michelle Watterson only once. And there's some stuff from earlier in her career. But that's a lot of... Like, she's only had 15 fights. And, hang on, she's had 15 total fights with 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10. Yeah, she's only had 11 different opponents over 15 fights. Uh, that's, a, uh, that's a lot of rematch value there. It'll be 11 over 16 after this fight. Yeah. Um, bizarre stat. Uh, I appreciate the improvements Aspars has made, and she's going to be the first legitimate wrestler that Rose faces in a, has faced in a while. Uh, Weili Zhang had a degree of success wrestling Rose, but I don't think Aspars is as physically strong as Zhang is. I think that's a that was a big determining factor there. Uh, I don't. Re I'm not saying Aspars can't win. That would be doing her a pretty serious disservice. But Rose is a much better striker. Esparza still struggles with dealing effectively with longer fighters. Uh, Namunas has really good power. I I don't have a I don't have much of a compelling reason to pick Esparza to win. Just to reiterate the point, that is not to say that she is incapable of winning. But if we're sitting here and I have to make a prediction, I don't have a lot of reason to pick against Rose Namajunas here. Uh, lightweight fight next between Michael Chandler and Tony Ferguson. Yes, the crazy. Um, man, it's going to hurt watching Tony Ferguson lose this fight. I mean, this is a winnable fight. Uh, here's, I think, that it's not that Michael Chandler can't be stopped with strikes. Here's the problem with trying to stop him with strikes. You have to surprise him. If he can, if he knows what's coming, he's really hard to finish. I mean, look at what Justin Gagey threw at that man and could not get him out of there. Uh, look at what Eddie Alvarez threw at Michael Chandler more than once and 
really, really couldn't get him. I have to double check that. Hang on. Yeah, because he beat Eddie the first. I mean, he got dropped by Eddie that first time. It was a great fight. If you haven't seen the first fight between Michael Chandler and Eddie Alvarez, Bellator 58, 2011. Darn good fight. Uh, I kind of thought he got jobbed a little bit on that Alvarez rematch, to be candid. Uh, has the two losses to Will Brooks. So, uh, again, it's not that you can't stop him with strikes. Uh, you know, Pitbull did. All, Charles Oliveira obviously did. But those were more... One, Pitbull hits very, very hard. And Oliveira, I think, caught him... Uh, again, caught him in between. Right? You surprised him with that punch. And if you can surprise him with it, you can hurt him. If he knows you're going to hit him and he knows it's going to hurt and he can kind of be ready for it. Again, the Gagey fight's a prime example of that. Gagey beat him within an inch of his life at various points. Just crushed him with power punches. And he just would not go. He only got dropped once, I think, in that fight. Which is crazy. If he knows that's what he's in for... He can be prepared for it. I think he knows that's what he's in for when he fights Tony Ferguson. Tony Ferguson is a maniac. And I mean that as a compliment. Uh, but I... Look, I think Ferguson was slowing down a little bit before the Gagey fight. And then... Look, he may have peaked. I think we can... Looking back on this in hindsight... Tony Ferguson's absolute best performance is probably the Rafael Dos Anjos fight in 2016. He and RDA had a great five-round fight in Mexico City with a, with a pretty crazy output from the both of them. His next fight, he fights Kevin Lee, and he wins, but he got, he got hurt in that first round. He got bombed on a little bit. His fights after that, he fights Anthony Pettis and Donald Cerrone, and... I don't mean this to be an insult to either of them, but if we look at 2018, 2019, it's it's not unfair to say that Anthony Pettis and Donald Cerrone do not represent the top of the lightweight division. Then he gets Justin Gagey on short notice, and dude, if he had, Ferguson had taken damage plenty of times before that. Again, Kevin Lee did some did a pretty serious number on him. In the first round of their fight, if you don't remember that, look it up. You know, Pettis had some success against him. Venata hurt him. Lando Venata almost finished him. You may not remember this from 2016, but he had Tony Ferguson all kinds of hurt after a head kick. I mean, he got real close. Edson Bar he and Edson, Bar Edson Barboza had this bloody war. It's a great fight. But that that bill comes due, man. You toss in the beating that Justin Gagey put on him. Rewatch that fight if you've got the stomach for it. Gagey does damage to him that will change your life. Certainly your career. I mean, it, look, he's on a three-fight losing streak, and it's not like he's losing to scrubs. Gagey, Charles Oliveira, and Benil Daryush. Those are really, those are top-heap lightweights. But he's, look, he's, a, he's had 31 fights, and he's about, he's older than I am. He's 38 years old. You don't find 
lightweights in the UFC. You don't find lightweights in general at his age succeeding at the highest level. I I saw on Twitter, I forget who it was. Somebody mentioned that, well, you know, Glover Teixeira persevered and came back and at the age of 42 won the UFC light heavyweight title. So it's not impossible for Tony Ferguson. And I appreciate the optimism, and I've got a great deal of respect for Tony Ferguson. For a while, he was one of my favorite fighters. Might still be. He might win this fight. Let me preface this. He might win this fight. It's not at all outside the realm of possibility. But... Part of Glover Teixeira's success was that light heavyweight is a terrible division. It might be the worst division in the sport. It's not as hard to be successful there later in life. You don't see 40-year-old lightweights contending for the title. Look, Jim Miller's out there still getting it done, but let's all be honest about that. I love Jim Miller. My fandom of Jim Miller is well-documented. But he is nowhere near a ranked opponent, much less the title as things currently stand. And I think everyone knows it. I think Tony Ferguson's time as a truly elite lightweight is probably coming to an end. Might win this fight. Need to stress that. Uh, Very well might. He's got those stabbing front kicks that really hurt. He's got an endless motor. He's got offense from every conceivable position, but he's been hurt. He's been out-wrestled, and to be perfectly honest, what he was doing in 2017, 16, 17, was ahead of the curve in a lot of respects. It's not anymore. The game has caught up to him, if not surpassed him. Uh, I mean, he's had he's had injuries. You know, Charles Oliveira did a number on his arm. Benil Dariush did stuff to his leg when they fought. I mean, he had some tight heel hooks in that fight. Yeah, uh, he's had you know, all kinds of other issues. He might win here. I need can I stress that. He's violent. He seeks the fight. But this is a close one as far as that goes because I can see the argument for either man. I just, I think Tony's time is really closer to the end than we all, than a lot of people might be willing to admit. So I'm going to pick Chandler, but it's a great fight. I think those two are going to go to war for as long as it lasts. So going to enjoy the carnage. Uh, not something I'm looking forward to. Next fight, light heavyweight, Mauricio Shogun Hua and Ovin St. Prue. Why? Why? Just why? Look, there was a period of, there was a period of time when Shogun was the best light heavyweight fighter in the world. It was in, you know, 2005, 2006. Then, I don't even think when he won the belt... Because he won the belt in 2010. I think even then we all knew that John Jones was the best light heavyweight in the world. 
So, he had a good run. You know, the, the man was part of some legendary fights. If you haven't looked up some of the stuff he did in Pride, please do so. Please. His fights with Dan Henderson in the UFC are the stuff of legend for a reason. Uh, but he's been fighting since 2002. He's been fighting for 20 years. That's to say nothing of all the stuff he did in the gym, because when he debuted in 2002, you know that guy had more than a few gym wars under his belt already. And he's had tons of injuries over the years. Uh, it's just... I don't know what we're doing here. Um, these two fought in 2014 with Ovin St. Prue knocking out Shogun in like 30 seconds. That was, again, 14. So... It wasn't 14 in particular. November of 14? So, you know, seven... Not quite seven and a half years later. Now we're running this one back. I, I just can't pick Shogun to win at this point. I mean, it's not like Ovin St. Prue is on some career-defining streak at the moment. He's not. He's not at all. I mean, he's just not at all. Coming, He's been finished in both of his last fights. I... I don't know. That fight's just going to make me sad. And I'm, I'm not picking Shogun. I just don't pick Shogun to win at this point. Kicking everything off, two of the old dogs of the lightweight division, Donald Cerrone and Joe Lozon. Uh, Lozon's been a bit inactive recently. Uh, last fought in October of 19. He beat Jonathan Pierce. Lost three in a row before that. Uh, yeah, he's been out for a while, man. Um, I get the appeal of this fight. I mean, look, and Donald Cerrone hasn't won a fight since 2019. Now, some of that you can chalk up to the level of opposition, right? Lost to Tony Ferguson... Fine. Tony Ferguson in 2019 was what was like top tier. Uh, again, maybe not quite where everyone was thinking he was, but he was still on that long winning streak. After that, Justin Gagey stops him in the first round. Justin Gagey's a maniac and a bad matchup, and okay, fine. Justin Gagey's one of the best lightweights in the world. Loses a unanimous decision to Anthony Pettis. Slightly contentious, as far as the decision goes, but Anthony Pettis definitely not. Uh, fights to a no contest, originally a draw with Nico Price. And then his last fight is stopped by Alex Morono. I don't know. I I mean, Cerrone's almost at the point where I shouldn't pick him to win. He is, however, fighting one of the few guys in the UFC that I think is probably appropriate for him to fight at this point. Uh, they might turn back the clock and give us a very good fight. You know, these two guys, when they were at the top of their game, they were action fighters. These were fighters you didn't miss when they were on a card. Might be weird to think about that when it comes to Joe Lozon, but that was true. I 
I have some good memories of watching Joe Lozon fights, man. His first fight with Jim Miller is a blood and guts thing for the ages. Uh, but, I mean, you've got a guy who hasn't won in a long time, and you've got a guy who hasn't fought in 30-some-odd months. Jeez. I'm going to flip a coin. Heads, we go Cowboy, Tails, Cerrone. Let's have a look here. Tails. Wait, I said Heads, Cowboy, Tails, Cerrone. That's the same. <laughs> Flipping again. Heads, Cerrone, Tails, Lozon. Kind of cheated myself there. Heads. So, Cowboy. The the coin is spoken. Um, yeah, that You just hope that one's not sad. You know Shogun and OSP is going to be sad. You just kind of hope Cerrone and Lozon isn't, too. Wait, that's your main card. You know, that's a solid value for your dollar. This is taking place in Phoenix, so it's kind of a home game for Justin Gagey. Should be a darn good... That's a darn good pay-per-view card. Just as. All right, as for the rest of this card, let's speed this up a little bit. Uh, Randy Brown and Chaos Williams. Huh. I mean, Randy Brown's on a two-fight winning streak. Um... Williams, also on a two-fight winning streak. Probably go Williams. I think Brown struggles a little bit when he gets hit. Women's featherweight, because that's still a division. Uh, Macy Chasson and Norma Dumont. Chasson coming back up to featherweight. Hmm. I'll go with Dumont there, but I am not sold on that. Uh, flyweight fight, Brandon Royval and Matt Schnell. That's not bad. Uh, Royval's a lot better than people. He's better than his record would indicate. He's two and three in the U three and two in the UFC. Wins over Tim Elliott and Kai Kara France. He finished both of them. Had the close win with Ho uh, with Rogerio Bontarin. Had that weird fight with Brandon Moreno. I think that's the one where his shoulder came out. Assuming I'm remembering him correctly. Yeah, he fights out of Factory X, and that, that's Mark Montoya. Um, it's a good fight. I think I'm going to lean towards Schnell, but that's a very, very slight lean. Um, it's a good, again, that's a really good fight. It's a really good fight. Heavyweights, because we're not depressed enough. Blagoy Ivanov and Marcos Rogerio de Lima. <laughs> Okay, look, I, I joke about heavyweights a lot, but that's a depressing heavyweight fight. Good grief. Ivanov, I guess, but man. Uh, earlier prelims. Francisco Trinaldo and Danny Roberts. That's a pretty good fight, actually. Um, Roberts, has been, Roberts has been up and down in UFC. On a two-fight winning streak, though. I mean, he got... He got lucky in that Ramazan Amiv decision. He got really lucky. Which I mean, Amiv kind of got robbed. Uh, Trinaldo looked okay since moving up to welterweight. Uh, I probably shouldn't pick Trinaldo. He's just... He's older, but... I think I will here just for the heck of it. A lot of older recognizable names on this card that might be... Uh, might be closer to the to their exit, you know. 
women's flyweight, Tracy Cortez and Melissa Gatto. Probably go with Cortez. Yeah, yeah, Cortez. Uh, assuming she's got her weight under control. She missed weight her last time out. I mean, only by half a pound, and that was her first time having an issue, but does mean I have to does mean you have to at least kind of keep it in the back of your head somewhere. Uh, flyweight. Uh, Clidson Rodriguez and CJ Vergara. Probably go with Vergara there, but uh, that one that's gonna fly under a lot of people's radar. That that might be pretty good. Uh, let's see. Women's strawweight, Ariane Canalose and Lupita Godinez. Go with Lupita there. Carnalosi's Uh, she's won her last couple of fights, but I'm just going with Godinez. But that's, I wouldn't bet it. I would not bet on that fight. Just, that's a bit too close. And kicking everything off, possibly? There's another fight here I need to briefly bring up. Um, but Journey Newsom and Fernie Garcia, um... Again, bantamweight, going with Newsom. I mean, he's had a rough go of it in the UFC. He's not won officially yet. Uh, he got head kicked by Randy Costa his last time out. It was September of 2020. But I think he's. Sh- I think I've seen some good stuff out of him. Garcia is making his UFC debut. So, but if Newsom loses here, he will probably get some walking papers. And a welterweight fight between Andre Fialho and Cameron Van Camp. Pretty easy pick to go with Fialho there. Assuming that fight takes place, it's announced but not on the bout order. You know, the, uh, some of the stuff has been shuffled around a lot. So, Assuming that fight does take place on this event, Fialho's an easy pick. And that's it. So I will be covering that Saturday in the MMAZona411mania.com. Please do stop by and say hello if you are so inclined. All right, let's move on to... Oh, boy. All right. I don't usually talk about um, social media noise. I find it to be just a waste of most of my time. And yours. But... Ali Abdelaziz decided he's trying to advocate for Kamaru Usman, who is one of his clients. Uh, For those of you who don't know, Ali Abdelaziz is a manager. He owns... I forget what company... I think it's Dominance MMA. You know, he, he reps a bunch of fighters. Um, several of them high-profile UFC fighters. Uh, he was Khabib's rep. You know, so one of the bigger... and you know, May or may not use that for uh, nefarious purposes. Get some of his clients to you know, come out to Chechnya, hang out with Ramzan Kadyrov. Yeah. Boy... Uh, anyway, he tried to make noise at Canelo Alvarez because Kamar Usman has been saying he would like to box Canelo for the obvious reasons that he wants a lot to make a lot of money. Canelo pulled kind of a Conor McGregor and said, who the F is this guy about Ali? And Ali tried to fire back on Twitter, but because no one cares about Ali Abdelaziz outside of you know, some people behind the scenes, he here's the other thing about this. Anyone that he manages, anything you see them tweet, it's about 50-50 whether or not it's the actual fighter or Ali Abdelaziz, because he tweets a lot for his clients. Um, 
I mean, especially the ones who don't speak English. So, I mean, like, Zabit was tweeting for a while, and we'll talk about Zabit in a little bit. I mean, like, Zabit doesn't speak English. He's not tweeting. <laughs> it's, it's Ali. Uh, he does this from his fighters' social media accounts all the time. So, Kamaru Usman starts the, the Usman account, whether it's actually Kamaru or it's Ali, I, I don't know. Uh, I, I really don't, but suffice to say, I'll refer to it as Kamaru just because that's it was his Twitter account. Uh, does the old, hey, you know, I'll fight you, uh, and he said something like, I'll fight you wherever, and, or he's, oh no, I remember, was he said, you know, how about we both, how about we all come down before someone gets hurt, and Canelo's response was, I agree, but it's not going to be me that gets hurt. The response from the Usman account was something along the lines of, anywhere, anytime, in the ring or the cage, I don't care. You name it, we can fight. And Canelo, with the appropriate response, you're the one calling me out, right? So you know, and you want the payday, right? So you know where, and you know the rules. But sit down, it's not your turn, I've got history to make. He's got a fight with Dimitri Bivol coming up, I think, this weekend. Uh, for the light heavyweight, for Bivol's light heavyweight title, I forget which organization it is, which is a really good fight, believe it or not. I like Canelo's chances there, but Bevel's got a very educated jab. There's a size difference. Should be a good fight. So, so then, so naturally, the response from the Usman account goes, "Well, okay. So we, since we know you don't want a real fight, uh, you don't, which is the dumbest thing. Just the dumbest thing." He then he this is what happened. This is kind of why I this is kind of how you know it's Ali because this is what MMA personalities and I don't mean fighters personalities do whenever they can't get their way about something. They do the well, we're the only real fighting sport, which is utter crap, by the way, utter crap. But that, that this is what they do. Like oh well, if there's any re if there's any rules on it, it's not a real fight. There are rules in MMA, you bunch of idiots. I know they're not enforced very well, but they still exist. I mean, this is the same thing that happened. I, I, the same people who do the well, if the referee wasn't there, I would have killed you. Well, if we're gonna fight to the death, I'm gonna blow your house up three weeks before the fight. If that's the only thing that makes sense. It's just. Stupid, but that's what he does. So Steven Espinosa, the president of Showtime Boxing, I forget ex something to that effect. I forget exactly what his title is. Forgive me. Chime said something, and the response from Usman at that point became, you know, this is why your sport's dying. You should take notes from Dana, and and that's when you know it's Ali, not Kamaru Usman. First of all. Not that Kamaru is not occasionally complimentary of Dana White, but there's no way he would have said that. There's just no way. So let's let's do a couple of things here. I'm gonna echo some sentiments from other people who have talked about this, but I've I've got to say it again because this gained enough traction. And it, it's something that I think needs to be said. Dear UFC fighters, if you're going to call out boxers for the boxing payday. Now, again, I'm fairly sure this was not Kamaru doing this, but in the event that it was. If your, if your thought process is, I want a giant payday. You can't get it in MMA. 
cannot. The UFC, which has 90% of the global market for mixed martial arts. This is like according to their own court documents. And when you again, when you look at this, when I say 90% of the market, that doesn't mean that there's not a bunch of other promotions. It doesn't mean there aren't other good promotions. Here's what it means. They have a preponderance of all high-level talent in the sport by a pretty wide margin. And of all money spent annually on mixed martial arts, all of it, so this is pay-per-views, this is ticket sales, this is broadcast rights and fees, right? All money, of all money spent on mixed martial arts all year, some 90, 90 or so percent of it goes to the UFC. This is just reality. Look, I'm, this is not me hating on Bellator. I'm glad Bellator's in business. I'm glad they're paying their fighters. I really am. But whoever broadcasts them does not pay what ESPN pays the UFC. Not even close. I mean, the UFC's going to get re-upped in um, the UK. I forget the network. I think it's Sky Sports. Like, they're looking at a a significant increase in their rights fees from the relevant network for the UK. I mean, so nobody is, the point there, no one's, no distributor, no rights broadcaster or whatnot, is paying anyone else what they're paying the UFC by a margin of maybe even a full, again, a full decimal point, a full 10x, right? I mean, what is it, like 300-some-odd million dollars per year that ESPN pays the UFC? Per year. How much do you think Bellator makes per year from their distributor in the United States? It's not even going to be half of what ESPN pays the UFC. And this is to say nothing of any other market you want to go to, to say nothing of pay-per-view, to say nothing of ticket sales, none of it. When I say the UFC has 90% of the marketplace, of every dollar spent on this sport by whoever spends the money annually, 90 cents, give or take, is spent on the UFC. You don't have to like that. In fact, it's pretty bad in some cases for certain individuals and other entities, but that is reality. So, you are never going to get a giant payday outside in mixed martial arts. Look, Bellator might pay very, very well. I think they do. And the PFL might pay very, very well, especially relative to what, when you start in the UFC, you make nothing. So, uh... I'm not saying that everyone in the early, but the relevant point here is you you cannot get the maximum financial value out of an MMA career unless you're in the UFC. I know there are people who make really good money outside of the UFC. I'm not saying you can't make a good living. I'm saying there is no one on the MMA side of things who makes more than the top fighters in the UFC. No one outside of the UFC makes what Conor... And Conor's a somewhat aberrant comparison. So pick some... 
I don't care who else you pick. Pick Kamaru. Pick John Jones. Pick uh, some other hot. Pick Francis Ngannou. Uh, again, I don't care. I genuinely don't care who you pick. The point's going to stand. The the highest earners in all of MMA are in the UFC, and when it's all said and done. At the high end, if we exclude Connor, because Connor's an aberration, and he's constantly lying about his finances anyway. So setting aside Connor, John Jones was pretty honest about this. He said, when it was all said and done, that's his contracted money, athlete compliance, pay-per-view points, etc., he made around $5 million a fight. Which is a good chunk of change. Like, this is not me spitting on $5 million. Not at all. It's more money than I will probably see in my lifetime. Uh, certainly in any one place. But. Tyson Fury just made $30 million for his fight with Dillian White. As his purse. To say nothing of sponsorships, which he gets, and UFC fighters do not. Say nothing of pay-per-view points. To say nothing of whatever he might portion he might have got at the gate. That was the largest... Like, that was the largest live audience in the history of the United Kingdom to watch a boxing fight. He had 90-some-odd thousand people crammed into that place. If he got a percentage of that gate, that's huge. Tyson Fury made more in that one fight than any two fighters will make all year in the UFC, if not any three. Straight up. And, and that's Tyson Fury, who's a solid draw. And you know, the best heavyweight of his era. Canelo's making more than that. And you guys want to... You will never... You will never see it in the UFC. You will never see a UFC champion make $30 million a fight. Unless they are forced to by either a giant collective bargaining agreement from the fighters or some kind of legislation. They won't do it because they don't look if you they are obeying the law. And if you want them to change, you must change those conditions. The UFC will comply with whatever is asked of them. With whatever is required of them for that required. If they are required to do X, they will do X. They will almost certainly not do X plus one, but they will do X. And so if you want these big fights, there's a reason that all the boxers or all the MMA fighters are after boxing fights. Why was Connor calling out Floyd? Because he could make more money in that one fight than he could in any two or three fights in the UFC. And he knew it. Why is Francis Ngannou trying to fight Tyson Fury? Because he can make more money under those circumstances than any two or three fights in the UFC. And he knows it. Why is Kamaru Usman the best welterweight in MMA and maybe the best fighter in the sport? I tend to have Volkanovski above him, but that's just me. You tell me Kamaru's your number one pound-for-pound guy, I'm not arguing with you. I think it's perfectly valid. Why is this guy saying, I want to leave this sport? where I am maybe the best in the world right now, 
and go to another sport where I am most certainly not the best and would in fact get hurt and embarrassed very, very badly if I were to fight the best, maybe the best boxer in the world. Canelo might be the best. Again, that's a somewhat more contentious topic, but I leave that open to people who know more about boxing than I do. Why is he doing this? Because you cannot... Let me stress this. This is a... There's no qualification needed here. It is not possible to get that kind of a payday in the UFC. The UFC pays its fighters less than 20% annual revenue share stream, right? This is known. This is documented. They've they've admitted this in court. There, there's no ambiguity here. There is no discussion. They're not going to go above 20%. They try to keep it less than that. It's probably closer to 15 because some of that is what they define as athlete compensation. They're not going above 20. They're basically the only part of Endeavor, their parent company, that's really turning a profit on a consistent basis. There's no incentive for them to break their own structure to their own financial detriment. And it screws the fighters. I am not pretending otherwise. But you can't get this where you are. So you're trying to go to another sport. Don't complain about that sport dying. Boxing is not dying. You are echoing a talking point from at least a decade ago. Longer than that. That could go to be 2012. Like, you're echoing late 2000s, maybe early 2010s. So a decade on the high end. You're echoing these old talking points. You're shooting your own self in the foot for trying when you're trying to get a bigger payday. You don't understand the business side of boxing. You don't understand what's working, what what it's doing well. If you want to say, I want to go box the biggest boxing star in the world to make the most money, fine. I'm not I'm not dismissing that as far as an, an, an endeavor for your own athletic glory, for your own financial security. This is not me shooting that down on that respect. This is me saying you are stepping into an arena about which you know nothing on the business side of things and you know a fraction of on the physical side of things. If this is what you want to do, fine. You can make life-changing money in boxing. You absolutely can. You can make a hell of a lot more of it here than you can in the UFC because of how the business is structured. Fair enough. But stop with your stupid backhanded compliments and stop praising Dana White's promotional acumen when it leaves you, the fighters, with less than 20% annually. Less. You are getting screwed left, right, and center, and you will complain about it, and you will take this out on anyone except the people who actually matter. And it's just sad. And it's driven by people like managers in this, in MMA. And... It's just, it borders on the pathetic, to be quite candid. It's its pathetic behavior, not ambition. Ambition can be quite good. But the way about which some of these people go about it, it reeks of desperation and occasionally feels small. Kamaru Usman is not a small man.
I don't just mean fit in stature. That's part of the reason I'm fairly confident a giant chunk of what transpired on Twitter was not Kamaru Usman. <laughs> so, it's my take on that for whatever it's worth. Should go pretty quick to the rest of these. Uh, as far as news goes, one championship will be broadcast on the United States on Amazon Prime. So Amazon Prime will do live sporting events on occasion. They do some football stuff. They will start broadcasting one. So good for them. One has a pretty good product. Uh, I Look, what they do with you know kickboxing and Muay Thai stuff and four-inch gloves and in the cage, I really like. they got a better kickboxing division than they do MMA. But they've got some good fighters on their roster. They tried to do the broadcast thing with TBS. It didn't work uh, for a variety of reasons. This is a step in the right direction. They're going to get, I think, 12 events over the course of a year. So we'll see how that plays out. But one getting uh, greater visibility, even though they're already in a potential like 8 trillion homes or whatever stupid stat they tried to put out. The people who run one are shady people. But the but again, the quality of their product in places, it's quite good. Uh, do some quick hits about fights that are upcoming. What do we got here? Uh, the UFC is trying, uh, is booking or, you know, kind of, uh, looking at gone, uh, Cyril Gone versus Tai Tuivasa for the UFC's debut in France. It would be in Paris, I think later this year. It's a relevant fight. Uh, Tai Tuivasa is coming off of that win over Derek Lewis. Deserves a big step up. I think Cyril Gone is a terrible matchup for him, but... Yeah, that kind of is what it is. Also in foreign MMA, in foreign fights for the UFC, as in not in the United States. Uh, Tom Aspinall versus Curtis Blades is looking at, uh, they're kind of aiming for that for the UFC's return to London. Uh, pretty big step up for Aspinall. Uh, Curtis Blades is consistently a top-tier heavyweight, so that's a, it's a legitimate test for him. That could be a very, very interesting fight. I think that would be the main event. Uh, good fight. Also, they announced this on the card, on the broadcast last night. Calvin Cater versus Josh Emmett for the Austin, Texas card, June 18th. Heck yes. That's a really, really, really good featherweight fight. Those two are going to get after it. That's going to be a good one. Uh, I think they were looking at that as the main event. Darn good fight. Uh, all right. I think the last bit of news before I check Twitter and then we can get out of here. Uh, some weird news came out about Zabit Magomed Sharipov this last week. Um, he looks to be pausing slash ending his fighting career and going into the medical field. Um, if this is true, he might go down as one of the greatest what-ifs the sports had. The sports had some weird ones, but... I mean, look, if he wants to be a doctor and make the world a better place and help people, I... I applaud that. I really do. Um, it probably beats getting you know, punched in the head for a living. But he, he demonstrated a lot of potential. He captured a lot of people's imagination. He really did. But if he is done, I wish him the best in whatever he chooses to do with his life going forward. But that, that news kind of broke this week and just needed... Just thought I'd bring that up because we've kind of been waiting to see what's up with him and... We'll see if this sticks or if this is, again, just kind of something wonky, but 
Uh, that's my update on Zabit for all of you. All right, let's check Twitter, see if anything crazy MMA-related is broken. If not, we will plug and get out of here. All right, nothing new, so plugs. Last week, my usual spate of professional wrestling coverage. It's AEW's Dark Elevation on Mondays. Uh, MLW stuff on Thursdays. That was Intimidation Games this last week, for those of you who care about professional wrestling. And WWE SmackDown on Fridays, as well as whatever the UFC is doing on Saturdays. That's my professional wrestling and mixed martial arts coverage, which is in the wrestling or MMA zone of 411mania.com. Feel free to go over there and check those things out if you are so inclined. Last week was a... Oh, it was Damn You Hollywood last week. That was Mark and I talking to Northman. We were originally supposed to be joined by Gavin Napier. That uh, fell apart due to illness. So just Mark and I talking about a really good movie. Go see The Northman if, if you're so inclined. Uh, listen to our review. Uh, Mark and I... We rambled a bit on that episode. <laughs> Should not have that problem this week. This week on Damn You Hollywood is going to be a double shot. We are reviewing the Netflix anime movie Bubble, as well as uh, the anime movie Bell, which is getting its digital release here in the United States. Uh, I think that's same, maybe that same day. So we that will be myself, Mark Radulich, and I believe we have guests. Double check that. Uh, yeah, David Wright will be there, and I think we might have uh, some guests from another more anime-centric podcast that will be joining us for that review. Either way, that uh, Tuesday, we will be reviewing those two movies, so please do stop by if you're interested in my thoughts on film. Damn You Hollywood is my regular hangout. I occasionally show up on TV Party as well over... That's changing again in the near future. Oh, boy. Sorry. Mergers. Mergers for small websites and companies and whatnot are fairly common. So that will be this Tuesday. Next week will be Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Fan Service. So tune in for th- tune in for myself, Mark Radlich, and I believe Alexis Haina will be discussing that movie. Again, that will be on the 10th will, will be the review. Um, yeah, this week, again, that usual spate of coverage for professional wrestling and UFC 274 on Saturday. So please do stop by any of those if you are so inclined. I appreciate it. I will be back here next week to review UFC 274 and to preview UFC on ESPN 36. That will be the card headlined by Jan Blahovich and Alexander Rakich. Very relevant light heavyweight fight there. Uh, how's the rest of that card look at a glance? Not great. It's not terrible. It's a pretty firmly middle-of-the-road card, so we'll get a full review next week for you all. Until then, stay safe out there, per usual, and continue to be well, be safe, and behave. <laughs>